Mornings, and welcome to my podcast here on the Outset Network. My name is Stephen Perkins. I'm the editor-in-chief. This is the show where we go in-depth with up-and-coming conservative activists, entrepreneurs, media types, and leaders to learn about what inspires and motivates them to do what they do. This week, we're speaking with Benji Backer. He is the founder and president of Conservatives for Environmental Reform. Uh, If you have been in conservative politics, especially young conservative politics for any amount of time, you've likely heard about Benji. He got started uh, at at an age that is a lot younger than most people get started in politics. And on this show, we talk about what that beginning looked like, um, some of the warnings that he has for other young conservatives, and also how he transitioned from being an activist on education issues in his home state of Wisconsin to now leading a national organization that is approaching uh, challenges with the environment through a free market lens. It's a really interesting organization that he has, uh, and and I've actually been lucky to to work with them for a while here. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Benji Backer. Benji, thanks so much for coming on my show. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? It's great to be here. I'm better than I deserve. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Um, so you are someone who has been in the conservative movement, the young conservative movement, for a while. Um, you started probably younger than most people start in politics. Um, and so I want to go over that. I want to go over what even came before that. So I guess let's start from the very beginning. Um, you were born in Wisconsin, correct? Correct, and lived there till till college. Very cool. So what part of Wisconsin is that? Uh, I live in Appleton, was born and raised in Appleton, only moved once, uh, just a block away from my old house anyways, so not really even, didn't really move at all. Um, but it's pretty close to Green Bay, for those who aren't familiar with Wisconsin. It's about 30 minutes away. Uh, it's in the northeast part of the state, um, and, I, and I do love it here. It's the one city people know is Green Bay. That's the main point of reference, of course. Exactly. Um, tell tell me about what was what was uh, what was child Benji like? What was your kind of upbringing there? Child Benji was obsessed with the Packers. Still is. <laughs> uh, still is. Also obsessed with cheese, and still is. So sure. basically, the stereotypical Wisconsinite is me. Um, but. I also grew up loving America, uh, loving sports, loving playing sports. I was obsessed with Batman for a while. Uh, But I grew up in a great town, uh, great education, um, educational system here, um, really homely place. Uh, It's just, it's it's an amazing place to grow up. Uh, I can't complain. We also have a lake house in the North Woods that we share as a family that is fun to go to almost every weekend in the summer um, that really shaped my childhood and uh, had a great upbringing with two sisters and two great parents. I can't complain at all. Yeah, I've seen pictures of the lake house. Looks awesome. Um, so tell me about, you mentioned a love for America, uh, all sorts of different interests. Um, was that from your parents? Tell me about them a little bit. Yeah. So actually, um, my political involvement and love for America, I think was drawn to me through my parents, but they didn't push it. I didn't know their political views until after I got active. My parents, I think, you know, my upbringing as a conservative was, 
really taught by the hard work that my parents um, did. They started a small business, turned into a large business, uh, and they actually retired a few years ago. And we went through some really tough years where financially we were not stable at all. And, you know, now just a few years later, they can retire comfortably because they worked, you know, their butts off to get this business uh, started and successful and went through a lot of hard times. But uh, just watching them work so hard and endlessly, you know, more than a full time job, almost two full time jobs uh, for each of them, just in terms of time, just taught me the, you know, importance of hard work and how much it pays off um, and not wanting to get your money stolen from you, just those simple things. And it wasn't anything taught by them, but it's just, you know, the reaction that I had from watching them from, you know, a close distance. Yeah. So what was that spark that made you first interested in politics? It was actually the, watching the presidential debates between John McCain and uh, Barack Obama in 2008. They were watching them, you know, to, to just out of curiosity, and they they were John McCain supporters. But I was so interested, you know, they were in there in the kitchen cleaning up, you know, kind of watching it on the background, and I was sitting in the kitchen just my eyes glued to the TV because I thought it was so interesting. Uh, it was my first election, really paying attention. And after a while, I forced my parents to put signs in our yard and bumper stickers on our cars because I just felt so passionately about John McCain in that election. And I was 10 years old at the time. So um, it was pretty easy, and my parents didn't really know where it was coming from. And at the same time, I also looked up political viewpoints from the conservative and liberal side and decided that I was conservative. Um, and then to kind of carry on a little bit, I was, when I was 12, I got injured. Um, my ankle was pretty injured and I was on crutches for like a year. And so I couldn't play sports. So I decided that I needed something else to do. And I felt so passionately about politics that I decided to start volunteering. And so at age 12, I started making phone calls for congressional candidates and Scott Walker in his first election in 2010. And it really took off from there. So tell me about that that first venture into political activism or involvement. Um, so you mentioned how you got started there. What was that reception like when you're 12 years old and you're getting involved in politics, local politics, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, my first election was for a state senator, uh, or now is a state senator. He was running for Congress at the time, and he lost in a primary. Um, and I started making phone calls for him, and the whole team didn't want me to make phone calls except for one guy. And they all didn't want me to because they thought I sounded too young. <laughs> and to be calling somebody and saying, hey, you know, Jenny, and calling them by their first name, people might get offended by that. But there's this one guy on the team that wanted me to do it. And so when all the others were gone, he would tell me to come in and make those phone calls because he knew I could crank them out. And so... Most people had a really positive reaction and laughed it off and just thought it was really cute <laughs> um, or just really interesting. But then there were some who did get offended, like, you know, you're way too young to be calling me by my first name. And so I definitely could see where the other staff members are coming from. But I was able to kind of lower my voice a bit for the phone calls because my voice <laughs> hasn't changed yet. Um, and But generally, especially in the conservative crowd, people were just like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible, a 12-year-old getting active in politics. Um and so it really made me want to do it even more just because I felt supported, um, especially after at first I kind of felt turned away. And after a while, the support was pretty incredible locally, and it started to grow um, even further than just my local area. 
So let's talk about what eventually led you to speak on the stage for the first time at the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC in D.C. Um, you were kind of a um, kind of a rebel in school, would you say? You, you I did, would say that's pretty accurate. You got some teachers who didn't necessarily like you that much. Yep. So Sounds. what's that story there? Yeah, so I was pretty boisterous in middle school. Um, that's when a, it came that's to a pl- good word for it, yeah. Yeah, when it came to my political views, um, and maybe not necessarily the best because of it, but there are a lot of people like that, and uh, I got treated pretty def- or pretty differently uh, because of my political views and was taken aside during classes and told how stupid and dumb I was, and I, I actually had to change schools at one point because of it. And then because of that backlash, I decided to kind of quiet it down at school and just kind of keep it, you know, public on the outside. Um, And so I was very active in Scott Walker's recall election because I really felt passionately about what he did and how it was right. And so I started making national news because I was the top phone caller in the state for his uh, for his recall election. And. So it was kind of interesting because my teachers would see those articles and would really, you know, basically crucify me and criticize everything that I did because of that and would take, you know, me in front of the whole class and say disgusting things that can't really be said on air. And so um, it was to the point where I was starting to get the connections that I needed to push a story like that out so people understood that conservative students didn't get treated fairly, especially since I was quiet at this point. I really didn't speak about my political opinions in school at this point anymore um, because I knew that the backlash was, you know, not going to be good, especially with my grades. So I was talking on a Tea Party tour um, and the guy told me, hey, I've got a connection with You know Breitbart and FreedomWorks and IJ or not IJ Review, but different sites at the time. And he's like, I can pitch your story to them. And uh, I ended up writing the story about the teachers and how they had kind of harassed me uh, for FreedomWorks, um, and it just blew up. And uh, I got invited to speak at all sorts of different conferences and kind of became, I would say, a a token of the conservative movement for better or for worse. And young people haven't really worked out for the, for the better when it comes to conservatives, uh, in, in, in the movement. But, uh, I think I'm one of the only ones who hasn't turned liberal. So I think that that's a win. <laughs> you're not, you're not writing, uh, books about, about how you change your views there. Um, no, no, I'm not. But so let's explore that. Talk a little more about, you know, as you're the, the token young conservative, um, what kind of pressures did that put on you or, or how did you feel, um, I'm sure you feel differently now than you did in the moment, but what were some of those emotions that came up? Yeah. And I think part of the problem was that I got so caught up in that and feeling mm. like I wanted to be that token conservative that that was kind of my focus. Whereas before it was like, I want to make a difference. I truly want to make a difference in this movement, um, and help people get elected and help the conservative message get across to more people. And so it was, you know, looking back on it, it was it was it's frustrating to to see that you know that age of myself kind of act differently and and not for the better but basically i was very excited about being the token conservative and did everything i could to try to get on as many big stages as i could and join as many organizations i could push my stuff forward and going through high school and losing some friends because of that and and kind of being full of myself for about a year i would say um 
I really started to look back on that and I was like, geez, I have really screwed up and have burned a lot of bridges. Um, and so I decided to kind of take a year off of politics just because I needed to gather myself. And in my personal life, I actually, I didn't, I don't think it affected it too much. Like, I don't think I treated my family or my best friends any differently, but I was harder to approach and I just wasn't my true self. So, uh, I decided to truly take a step back and completely get myself out of politics for a while. Um, and that really helped me kind of regain my footing. And I think a lot of people in the conservative movement had kind of seen me go down that path and had seen other people do it too. And were I got a lot of warning about not doing that and I did it anyways. Um, and they were happy to see me take that break as well. Um, I didn't know how long it was going to be, and it ended up being a year, but uh, it definitely was for the better and, you know, has helped me out to today. I, I remember when that happened, uh, and I think there was, you know, perhaps a little confusion there because from the outside looking in, you think, well, it was such a good role. But certainly when you frame it that way, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I think you see now within the young conservative movement, um, you still see sort of this trend of, uh, young conservatives aiming to be a personality or a celebrity, and, yep. and that's kind of what they're focused on instead of learning, doing hard work, stuff like that. Do you, that's what I see. Do you see that as still being kind of an issue? I do, and I, and I don't blame those people. I really sure. don't because I was in the position myself, and it, it, it's really almost impossible not to slip into that. Even the best people I, that I know have slipped into that, even if they're not on a huge stage and they even are just getting attention locally. Um, and that's why I really truly think that young people should be active in politics to a very large degree and learn as quick as possible about these issues and obviously they will change over time because with time and life experience comes different views and and i've had different views over the years as well but i do encourage young activism but i do not think that we should idolize people because of that and as somebody who was idolized because of my youthful conservatism i am the first to say that we shouldn't and we've seen that over the years and that, that it just does not work. I mean, you see C.J. Pearson, you see Jonathan Crone, uh, you see people like that turn into liberals, and then you see people um, just completely get burnt out. I mean, a good friend of mine, Madeline uh, McCauley, and, and other people like that, they completely have just fallen off the map because they get so burnt out and they just hate politics by the end of it that there's no point in it. And you don't want those good, young, bright leaders to either turn liberal or to completely leave politics. So I think that and that's just kind of a shot in the face to conservatives and liberals don't do what we do when it comes to young, you know, people and idolizing them, especially at this, you know, at a teenage age. So I think that it kind of is something that conservatives need to stop doing. And I think that they actually have. I don't think they've done any idolizing since C.J. Pearson. And I kind of hope that that continues. Yeah. So we'll talk about what uh, what it looked like whenever you came back and now the work that you're doing. Uh, two things I want to ask about before we get into that. Um, so you're in college right now. Uh, yes, I'm uh, a freshman at the University of Washington in Seattle. What are you studying? Uh, I'm studying business. Uh, I got into the business school um, as a fr- as a freshman. I'm actually a rising sophomore. I it just ended the school year. So, uh, but yeah, so studying business. Very cool. Um, and when you look at influences, people or organizations or just things that influence you, I know Scott Walker has uh, has a big role to play in your early story. So I, I would imagine he's one of your big influences. 
Um, talk about some of those. Yeah, so Scott Walker really, his friendship to me and his genuine friendship is one of the reasons I'm still active in politics because he actually truly valued me even at the position that he's in. Um, so that was a huge, he was a huge role model um, in terms of that. I would actually say my parents are probably the next biggest because they've supported me in literally everything that I've done. And even if they disagreed you know, with my decisions or my views or whatever, um, so I think that that's kind of the key is that they've been the stable ones in all of this. Um, and my friends, too. There are some friends who have stuck by me throughout all this, high school friends who and friends uh, that aren't even – that are through politics. Uh, Bethany Bora comes to mind. Uh, Dana Lash comes to mind. Um, some of those names, some also, some also some political people in the Wisconsin area also come to mind. And those people really have – you know, inspired me to keep doing political things, but also to just be myself and, and and kind of return to that personality that I was before the, uh, the youth conservative stardom moment that I had. And so I think, you know, all those names are probably some of the best ones that I've been able to associate with and ones that have really taught me to be, you know, the best person I can be. Yeah. So now you have an organization, Conservatives for Environmental Reform, or CIFR for short. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and, and I'm glad that I, I've done some work with you guys, and, and I've heard the Conservatives for Economic Reform and, uh, and all sorts of different variations of that. So let the record reflect. That is the real name of it. Um, and it's been on for about five or six months now. Um, what is... I guess, tell us the reason why you decided to focus on environmental issues through a conservative lens. Why is that important to you? Yeah, so, and most people ask that because for a while, I was really into education and like youth activism and stuff like that. And so people were kind of taken off guard when I started jumping into the environment. And there are a couple of reasons. Uh, a minor reason is that I started taking environmental courses through high school and college um, that kind of taught me about these issues um, from a conservative and liberal perspective, had different professors from different viewpoints. And and it wasn't an issue that I knew too much about, but I also was passionate about it early on. Like in elementary school, I always wrote my articles or essays or whatever you want to call them about environmental issues. So it's not something that I, you know, just completely on the spur of the moment decided to like. But the main reason is because of what we just talked about. Talking or yeah, speaking across the country at all these different events and meeting all these young people, I always heard the sentiment of, oh, I feel like I'm pretty conservative other than gay marriage and the environment, or I feel very, like I'm very conservative other than the environment. Mm -hmm. And so I asked myself, why is it anti-conservative to care about the environment? Why has it come to that point in the United States where when you're a conservative and you care about the environment, you have part of your platform that's quote unquote liberal? And so you know, maybe there are a few of those people who actually feel like their environmental issues, uh, environmental viewpoints are liberal, but for the most part, their approach on some of these issues is truly conservative. But because the left has dominated this issue for so many years and made it into a fear-mongering, money-revolving uh, issue, conservatives have just kind of given up on it on a national level and even sometimes on a local level. And so then the voters and the activists are turned away from it as well. So, I thought that there was a huge void in the movement that needed to be filled by a conservative group that cared about the environment 
because there are free market conservative reforms out there and there are conservatives who care about the issues, but they don't really know where to go. And so, you know, I hoped and still hope to kind of fill that void. And tell me about the team that you've developed. I know that you have CIFR and then you're working on another organization. Um, what's that team that you've surrounded yourself with and, and what's kind of what's coming up this year and, and a couple of years into the future? Yeah, so that's been and when you asked about the influencers in the past, I think that the influencers of the present have been even more important than anything else. And the team that I have been able to build and that we've been able to build as a as a group for this organization has been incredible. We have people all over the country. We have hardworking, um, you know, people who are constantly putting in time to grow this movement that I have, you know, tried to just plant a seed in. And have been able to put it into a huge network that I never thought we would be able to. These are people who don't get paid to do what they're doing. I don't either. But every single person has been putting in so much time to to better this movement, to better the organization, and to truly help the conservative movement bring in new voters through uh, better environmental policy. Uh, so we have you know a lot of great names on our team. Um, and it's just going to keep building. And uh, especially with the 501c4 and 501c3 that we're about to start, um, the American Conservation Coalition and American Conservation Coalition Campus, um, I think that this is going to grow into something huge. I mean, almost every young conservative who is very well respected uh, under the age of like 30 has been involved in our group in one way or another. Uh, and so it's been pretty amazing to see and the, the teamwork that we have and the camaraderie and the friendship that I've been able to have with our whole team has been has been great and can't wait to build on it. Yeah, and you even have that endorsement from Ben Shapiro coming in. So congratulations on that one too. Um, it's yeah. definitely, it seems like it's been growing fairly quickly and that's, that's cool to see. And I think really what you're doing is you're showing that there is a market for that message and that young conservatives and conservatives in general do believe that you can be both environmentally friendly and economically friendly. Um, long term, you talk about those two coalition organizations. What is the vision for that? You mentioned one of them is a campus one. So where are you going? Yeah, exactly. So we're going to have the organization is going to be twofold. It's going to be one to open up college campus chapters to kind of change the narrative from being from the environment being a liberal one, uh, a liberal issue to being a conservative one, um, and kind of counteracting the liberal environmental groups on campus and providing you know uh, millennials with the pro conservative environmental policies that are out there and having them be able to understand them and um, be able to fight for them additionally we're going to give support to those uh, legislators who have come out in support of pro environmental reforms on the Republican side people like Carlos Curbelo Lee Stefanik Mia Love um, a lot of names are actually a lot of politicians are really, truly starting to uh, put these issues forward and, and being able to give them the support that they need to win their elections uh, in their districts, as well as those who haven't been able to come out yet uh, and want to, as and those who haven't run yet who want to be supported. So we're going to be able to do educational things with young people and also older generations to give them an idea of what a conservative environmental reform looks like, and also support those who push those forward on a national level and state level when it comes to actual policies. Very cool. 
I want to ask a little bit about some of the challenges you've had to overcome with getting CIFR off the ground, but I, I want to first, there's a question from Facebook um, from Nick, and he says, from the stuff I've read in the interactions I have daily, there's a growing number of young kids of no particular political affiliation that either don't believe there is a need for environment, environmental reform or just don't care. To take it even further, some don't believe that climate change is real. So uh, he asks, what kind of reception do you get amongst older and younger conservatives that you encounter uh, whenever it comes to these issues that maybe they're they're not fully there on? Sure. So, and I appreciate that question. So, I would like to say that that I think that the the basis of the question saying that young people tend to not care about the environment, or at least that's how I'm kind of interpreting it, is a little bit off base because according to recent polling, 91% of millennials think that climate change is real and action needs to be done now. And that's not even accounting for those who believe that the environment's important and that they just don't believe in man-made climate change. So young people truly are invested in this issue. And that's the reception that I've gotten when I've traveled across the country for this particular organization, especially when I was at the College Republican National Convention uh, a week and a half ago. That's the exact sentiment that I got from all the delegates there. So I think that it's a winning issue to embrace, uh, especially for conservatives, because they need those millennial voters. Um, and for those who are doubtful, uh, which are mostly the older generations and obviously some people uh, in the younger generations, that's what we're actually going to be there for. We know young people are going to care, so we're going to give them a voice. But we also want to educate people who don't care um, and don't really feel like they have have a you know a stake in it because these issues are absolutely something that everyone is affected are affected by. So. Um, you know, if you live on the coast, the coastal resiliency and the water shortage and, um, you know, all sorts of different issues are important. If you're living in California and Arizona, the water shortage is a huge thing. Um, if you live by private land, 72% of, uh, private or 72% of endangered species are on private land. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so these issues really truly affect everyone. Um, and if you make that known, I think that those who don't feel passionately about the issues can get on board. Uh, and that's what we're really trying to do here. Also, when it comes to climate change, one final point there is, we, the majority of the people within our organization believe in climate change, but man-made climate change and that it's serious. But there are some that don't as well. And what we all agree on and what all Americans should agree on is that there are environmental issues that need to be fixed and they need to be fixed before we argue and bicker and continue to fight about climate change because no matter if it's man-made or not, there are issues that we need to fix. And a good analogy that I've been using is if a fire is burning, you don't wonder why the fire is burning. You try to put it out first. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to fix these environmental problems and worry about the cause later. Uh, and so, yes, there are a lot of skeptical, skeptical conservatives uh, when it comes to climate change, but they also understand that the environmental problems are real. So what surprised you the most whenever you started talking to people about CIFR? And uh, was it their reactions to it? Was it the overwhelming majority of people who agree with the idea that climate change or that environmental issues are, are important. What was that? Yeah, I would say the most surprising thing um, is probably the fact that there have been so many people who have been supportive. Uh, I didn't think that it would be this easy to get 
young conservatives and just conservatives in general to be supportive, especially those who haven't been in the past. So we have an endorsement list coming out. And I don't want to. I don't want to um, make uh, it not as surprising as it could be. So I'm not going to say. Give me the there- scoop. I don't want to give you the scoop yet, maybe in a few weeks down the road, but we have an amazing endorsement list coming out from people that you'd expect to endorse something like this, but also people who you wouldn't expect. And I think that that's been the most surprising thing is having people be like, okay, this makes sense. I've been waiting for something like this to come about to embrace environmental reforms. And I'm talking about elected officials and, you know, obviously Ben Shapiro. I mean, is it an issue that he usually supports? No, but he was one of the first people to endorse us because he's wanted something like this. So we are really excited about that. And I think, you know, generally that's been the most surprising thing. Uh, I would say the other most surprising thing is how many groups they actually are already fighting for these types of reforms on the right. And most of them have a focus on climate change, which I think is slightly flawed, but I support them in their efforts because I I don't know if that's the easiest sell to conservatives, which I, again, applaud them for trying to do that. But there are a ton of groups doing some amazing work. Republican, Conserve America, um, there are street, there are countless groups that are already doing this, and they'll be working with us in the future. So I think that that's also been one of the more surprising things. Very cool. And if people want to learn more about CIFR or get involved in any ways, how can they do that? Yeah, they can get involved by uh, reaching out to me um, on my Twitter uh, at Benji Backer or at our Twitter uh, at Cfer USA, so C F E R U S A. Otherwise, sending us an email outreach at C F E R U S A dot org uh, is probably the best if you're trying to you know email us. But um, really, we're open for all viewpoints, all walks of life, and we really want to make this a bipartisan issue that's not just dominated by the left. And so, you know, we're excited to bring in as many new people as we can. Absolutely. I I think even if you don't agree 100% with the opinions or the platform or whatnot, I I think we can all agree that both sides on any issue should have a seat at that table. And so why not be a part of of the conservative uh, leadership that's going to be leading up kind of those conversations? So um, I definitely encourage people to check it out. I want to, as we close, I want to finish off with some uh, kind of rapid fire questions, which just means that I have to keep my, uh, my explanation of them short, but by all means, your responses can, uh, can be however long you want them to. My first is, and this perhaps is going back a little bit, but what is your why? What is the belief that fuels what you do regardless of the organization or issue that you're working on? The why is that all Americans and all of the politicians need to start working together more. And I know that sounds cliche and I know a lot of people say that, but they don't put it into action. Um, And my whole goal ever since I returned to politics a few years ago is to bring people together for common sense, sensible um, reforms and sensible candidates and sensible people to really fight for America and and its future. And I just hate the polarization of America right now. Uh, I think a lot of people do, but they still stay in their tracks and kind of just keep pushing forward with their platform. And I hate my way or the highway politics. Uh, And what I mean by that is both sides just cannot work together unless it's completely their way or, um, or vice versa. So, um, 
really trying to change that. And I think that that's the essence of what the problems are in this country. Uh, I think that that's why we can't get a lot done. And I think that's why we get disastrous policies. I don't think far right or far left policies work. Uh, and I think that they're disastrous. And I think that that's what the founding fathers did not want to happen. So uh, that's kind of my why and, and why I feel so passionately about what I'm doing. I think we have a few, a few people saying amen to that. Um, I, I'm curious, though, that why is that has that changed since when you first started in politics? Yeah, it has. Um, not much, but it has. So at first it was just to make conservatism, you know, the ruling uh, thumb of, of, of American politics and also local politics and just trying to push conservative reforms 100 percent to make a better America. So at, in the end, a better America and a better, you know, working America was kind of the whole goal. But I also understand that just because a, a policy is conservative doesn't mean it's the best policy 100% of the time. And that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a discussion, even if I think it's the best policy. So it's changed a little bit because I'm not as narrow minded as I was before. Um, but I think in the end, it was to really, you know, help out this country, which is, like I said, far earlier in the program is something that I felt passionately about since of, you know, basically since I was born. Right on. Um, next question. If you had a huge billboard on a major highway, or if you had a, a Super Bowl commercial spot and you could say any message that you wanted to, what is that one message that you most want to get out to people? Um, well, the first message I would want to get out to people is people who love cheese are the best people. That's the first <laughs> message I would want to get out because those who don't love cheese are on my naughty list. There we go. Um, second is literally just stop the bickering it's so annoying and i hate it and it's really run rampant within conservative and within the conservative movement now it's not even just towards the left it's towards our own mm -hmm. and i've contributed to it i think everyone has and it's a problem and if we can't even agree with our own side i really don't know where we can agree yeah, I was saying uh, I, I was tweeting a little last night. My uh, my social media has gotten less political um, and even the show has become less political. I'm more interested in just learning about the people who are active in uh, in conservative politics rather than, you know, debating policy or things like that. And I, I have a deep interest in that. I, I like policy. I like having those discussions. But it just seems like online um is is no longer really a productive place to even do that. And it kind of makes you wonder, we're all connected more than ever now, but we, we can't seem to get the listening to each other part down. Um, and I was saying that, that most of the social media um, from people involved in politics is just, it's negative and it's sensational and it's demonizing the other side and it's, it's not really a dialogue. And I, I think both sides fall into the trap of saying we value dialogue and we, we value other opinions, but in practice, they, they don't. Um, and so I agree with you there. I, I think that that's a really disturbing trend because um, when you start to look at how do you build coalitions and consensus, you have to have that sort of discussion. Certainly there are, I think, level-headed people, but the drama uh, gets the best of everyone, I think. Um, so let's talk about the future a little bit of what is one issue or a couple of issues that you see dominating the political sphere, let's say in the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years, something like that in, in the kind of further future. 
Yeah, I would say obviously the environment. I, otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. Um, I think the environment's going to be the next big one that millennials really put a focus on. Uh, obviously, healthcare is going to be a huge deal. It'll be interesting to see how the f- back and forth goes between Trump Care and Obamacare and other cares, um, and seeing you know if people finally settle on a on a healthcare plan or if we're going to be talking about this for years. I mean, it's been almost ten years now, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I also think one of the most important issues that's going to come up is our debt problem. I think at some point you got to talk, talk about it. Um, so hopefully that gets talked about in the next 10 years, but I also said that, you know, five, 10 years ago. So uh, who knows? Um, and I'd say the last one would probably just be general government involvement. I think, you know, we're creeping closer and closer to, uh, a lot of scary prospects when it comes to the government being involved and young people really seem to have embraced Bernie Sanders, which is obviously big government at its finest. Uh, but Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton aren't that small of government people either. So I think, you know, at some point we're going to have to have a huge discussion. Probably going to, we're going to have a few candidates that strongly disagree on the size of government and there's going to be a big um, opportunity to choose one way or another. It'll be interesting to see which which way America chooses. Yeah. Um, what is one book that has influenced you the most? Um, I would say How to Think Seriously About the Planet. Um, I just read it. It's a really good book about kind of conservative ideas um when it comes to the environment uh really good book and i think you know it's it's a good book that you can even skim through to just kind of get some of these policy ideas um i read a lot of uh scruton's the last name i cannot remember off the top of my head um and show notes yeah so definitely do that i think that's a good one to look at there are also a lot of other books uh by conservatives that are you know looking at it from an uh, uh, environmental perspective that a lot of people don't know about um, that I've enjoyed reading. So um, look at a lot of those. And I think that that's been the biggest when it comes to, to this, you know, topic. Um, and that's, you know, that's the biggest one off the top of my head. If you were to give someone a book, what are some of the books that you would gift to other people? Um, series of unfortunate events. And, okay. uh, the best series I uh, would I would if I had more time I would read that through again right now. Um, I just love that series, and if no one had read it, uh, I would give them those books immediately. I uh, I watched I, I never read them, but I watched the Netflix series when that came out, and that was really good. Yeah, I mean the books were definitely better, and I know that that's also a cliche thing to say, <laughs> and I hate when people say that because. Sure. I never read Harry Potter and I never read Lord of the Rings and I saw the movies and I thought they were pretty good. So I didn't like hearing that I had missed out, but I will say that the books are better. So, you know, maybe now I have to gift you the books. There you go. I'll check my mail. (laughs) What is your, uh, and, and to close this out, what is your media consumption diet with all the noise that goes on all the different, you know, fake news, real news, whatever it is, how do you cut through the noise and, uh, and, how do you consume media? Well, I think all news media is fake news, and I hate that term, but but it is true. I mean, for the majority, everyone has a platform and everyone has a viewpoint, but I also don't know if that's necessarily a problem unless it's dominating one side or the other. I think 
that's how it's always going to be, which obviously one side is de- is definitely dominating the media. But I I don't think that you have to like eliminate biased news. I think that you that's almost impossible because everyone's going to ha- want to get their pitch in. So, but to cut through it, I try to read as many things from both sides as possible. Um, and kind of like compare headlines and and compare articles and 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 kind of see where that middle ground is. So you know what the Daily Caller writes is probably not correct, and what the Huffington Post writes is probably not correct, and it's probably somewhere in the middle. So that's kind of how I you know go through it. I think the Wall Street Journal and the Economist and uh, Politico can sometimes be good. There are some good ones towards the middle, um, but I mean even those have definite. Um, you know, swayings towards the left or the right. And, um, I try not to, to watch the news. I don't think that there are good channels on the news that are truly representing any sort of truth. And they're, they're really just trying to fight each other for the top spot. And I think that that's a problem. Um, you know, they're always saying, okay, well, we're the new number one. And I think that that's a scary thing for American news media to just worry about being the number one news network. So, um, that's kind of what I go by. I read a lot um, and listen to a lot of different opinions. I really like to listen to different people's opinions and follow different people on Twitter and just try to get as many opposing viewpoints as I can. Any favorite outlets or Twitter accounts or newsletters? Yeah, the ones I mentioned earlier, the Wall Street Journal, Politico, The Economist, um, those are some of my favorite online news sources. Um, when it comes to like Twitter, uh I do love reading the young conser- the young sensible conservative Twitter, um, your Twitter, Danny Butcher's Twitter, um, Bethany Bora's Twitter. I think that those are some of the better Twitters out there, um, and because we all share articles that are kind of all over the board, so you know we you can kind of see both sides just by following people like that. Yeah, you heard it here first. Follow me. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, well, uh, Benji, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me. And um, uh, I want to give you an opportunity just once more to, to give people that place to go if they want to learn more about you, learn more about Cipher. So what are those links again? Yeah, so I would say to follow me on Twitter would be the best way to hear about our future endeavors just because we're not going to be tweeting it from the CFER account for legal reasons. So I would say at Benji Backer if you're looking for the 501c4, 501c3. If you're looking for immediate involvement, go to at USA on Twitter at CFERUSA. And for online, it's CFERUSA.org. Um, so definitely follow us there. Uh, we post a lot of different things and we're still going to be active on the C4 side of things. Um, even once the 501c4 and 501c3 start, uh, which our website there is going to be the acc.eco. So ACC, like the Atlantic coast conference and then .eco. Um, so you can follow us there once that's up, which shouldn't be too long and, uh, make sure to, uh, to keep in touch with us. Cause I think that this is going to be something that's really vital for the conservative movement going forward. Just real quick, .eco is a new domain name now? I guess so. <laughs> I uh, I didn't know that till it was purchased by our digital director, and I was pretty enthused because yeah. that's pretty sick. That is cool. You need Benji.eco is what you need. I know. You need everything.eco. Absolutely. Uh, they, I also saw .dog that was advertised on Facebook. So, if yeah, I don't know. 
you're done well, with the I website. Totally buy, I would totally buy that. I think I might get off this and, and um, buy that right now, especially to confuse people because I could do Benji.dog and people would be really confused because every time I tell people my name is Benji, they're like, oh, just like the dog? And I'd be like, yeah, uh, just like the dog. Go to my website, Benji.dog, to find out more. Absolutely. Well, hey, we'll have to have you back on as Seifer as continues to grow and uh, really excited about the things that you're doing. I encourage people to check it out. But in the meantime, Benji, thanks so much for coming on. All right. Well, it's great to be here and look forward to uh, connecting here soon. And thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. A final thank you to Benji for coming on the show, and thanks to all of you for listening to the show. You can find the Outset Network at Outset Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, no longer on Snapchat, never was on Snapchat, but that new map feature is creepy. You can find me at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. And until we speak again next week, our 4th of July episode on Tuesday, take care. God bless. God bless.